can't believe that you haven't seen it love it so much you really gotta stream it let me tell you every line right now i can quote the whole thing since i was 12. maybe your mom told you no she said she Hey, 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 and welcome to another episode of Movies We Missed. I am your host, Brandon Greenhouse, alongside my lovely co-host, Jane Lana Hammer. Uh, Before we get into the episode for this week, we do want to run our socials by you, just so you can keep tabs on us uh, between episodes. You can find us on Instagram. You can even find us on Facebook at Movies We Missed. Uh, Jane, how are you doing today? I'm doing so lovely. It's Good. great. It's great to Good. see your face. You're looking beautiful. You're looking Thank you. Like, I just I like being in space with you. You know, the space between. Thank you. I'm. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, oh, oh! I didn't give you a compliment. <laughs> you did. You said I was beautiful. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant f- the song. I didn't give you a compliment for the song. The song just belongs to the culture. Was um, that David so... Matthews? Is yes. That the, is, is oh, that actually, I don't know that for sure. I don't even know what goes after that. Also, when okay. I search... Dave is, Dave is nodding his head. It is David Matthews. It annoys me that when I search the space between so many things come up, but that song doesn't, which feels disrespectful. <laughs> um, it is, yeah. It's, it was DMB. Yeah, they did it. Um, J- Jane, you're doing good. Did you... Okay, we're obviously going to be a little bit, you know you you all are probably like your hot topics are are giving lukewarm and i can't <laughs> i really can't because we're you. four weeks ahead i think recording so it's like what our current events what we're talking about is like literally a month old which in the cycle of the internet is ancient but we're gonna do it anyways because we don't care and also it gives you an, an opportunity to sort of revisit your initial feelings about the thing mm. when we bring it up now so it's kind wow. of like like a mini like historical like throwback kind of because it gives you a moment to be like what was i doing four weeks ago you know what i mean absolutely wow i mean yeah. that's a really good point that's, that's really good deep point. that's mm-hmm. thought-provoking mm-hmm. um absolutely jane so last night the grammys they aired the grammys um, yeah mm-hmm. uh well we'll start by talking about dr dre um and the global impact award the dr dre global impact award uh the inaugural um the inaugural Dr. Dre. Um, okay. Uh, is it always going Impact to be? Award. Ca- is it always going to be called yes. the Dr. Dre Impact? Yes, Award? baby. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I want you to start by guessing who's the most ridiculous person that the Dr. Dre Global Impact Award could have gone to last night. Okay, and this person is a is a music. First of all, but for context, I did not actually watch the Grammys. I just caught up on the internet this morning. Um, so, <clears throat> is the person who got the the award a musician? Yes. Okay. So it's not. So, uh, I mean, the most the most ridiculous. <laughs> um, is this person a super famous musician? Yes. Okay. Um, I want to say like the most ridiculous person I can think of is like Blake Shelton receiving that award. You're overthinking it. <laughs> is it Dr. Dre? Correct. Okay. <laughs> he gave himself. <laughs> <laughs> no 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 they they the grammy the the grammy um the, the think tank 
um, behind the Grammy decided, <laughs> you know, Academy I'm sure there was a little, sure there was a little light payola. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Dr. D got the award. So we want to give a special shout out. Wait, so did he, he presented the award to himself? I believe himself? that is, I believe that's what happened. Okay. <laughs> and what was he, what, okay, what has, what has Dr. Dre done in terms of global impact? I'm just curious. I'm just he not gave up us to date beats. with his. He gave us beats by Dre. I know, he, I know, but I was waiting for more. <laughs> he, um, he curated the Super Bowl. You what know? do you mean he curated the Super he Bowl? He curated the Super Bowl halftime show. I'm sorry, that's all that matters to me when I talk about the Super Bowl. So, yeah, he curated the Super Bowl halftime show last year. Yeah. But what but what sort of global impact did he have? Eminem? I'm thinking Okay. Snoop Dogg. Guilty Conscience. <laughs> the I'm Chronic. Not, I'm not gonna argue that Dr. Dre has not been an iconic um, you know, person within the world of music and has contributed greatly. He's built schools, music, music schools all over the world. Has he? I don't know. <laughs> I okay, but in my mind, when I hear global impact award, I think he's done something to move um something forward environmentally. Is that not true? Um, it looks like the, the basically Dr. Dre was the recipient of the inaugural Dr. Dre Global Impact Award. This is according to Grammys.com for his multitude of achievements through his innovative multi-decade career. And okay, was, so it doesn't have was... anything to do with like the planet. In my mind, I was thinking it was like an Earth Day award or something. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. So it's um, just you know, he's had a global impact on music. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, okay. So that's it. And then good for him. We and we then obviously... I guess honorable mention Beyonce. Um, <laughs> you know, is the most decorated became Grammy the most decorated time. Grammy Award winner of all time. Um, yeah, Beyonce lost that album of the year to our, to our boy Harry. Here's the thing. I'm really excited that she hit that milestone. It's an incredible milestone. I hope no one ever takes that away from her. I hope she gets to sit with that for years and years and years to come, that she's the most decorated Grammy Award winner. But I cannot, for the life of me, understand how she didn't win that. Um, it was kind. Of, it was surprising, and I'm not that familiar with Harry Styles, and I don't know Harry Styles' music, and I'm sure this album was transformative for many people. But I was just like surprised, just because I felt like it was her year, and they've they've I really fully felt like it was they've her really year. fucked her over a couple of times in this category, mm -hmm. and it annoys me because it's like she gives us like iconic after iconic after iconic, and her albums are like like it's wild to me that like like I just think, and y'all are gonna fight me on this, and I love me some Adele, but twenty five is not more iconic than Lemonade. In terms of like it's cultural not, impact, it's not. It's not. It's not. And good I love album. them. I love them both dearly. Me too. But I one hundred percent agree with you. We're that gonna be talking was the about snub lemonade. of all snubs. We're gonna be talking about lemonade for decades. Like mm -hmm. it. Like it's all. We're always gonna be talking about it. Like it we're is. We're still it talking is, about it. I don't really talk about twenty five that much, to be honest. No, with Adele you. doesn't either. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I mean. And no shade to Adele. We no love shade. Adele. It, even Adele, when Adele, when Adele won for 25, she was talking about Lemonade. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is, and Renaissance is everything. And I'm sure our girl is mm -hmm. in, cooking up something else for us already. Um, 
but we are we do want to celebrate her and congratulations to harry i maybe i need to absolutely to maybe I, maybe i'll be trying no, to get no, a room to be honest i as someone i am a harry's fan i went to his concert i saw him i really love his music i think he i think harry's house is a great album do i think it's did it it didn't i i will say this I mean, Renaissance had a larger impact on me personally than Harry. Styles. Yeah, and I and I don't really know what goes into deciding who even wins Grammy I, of the Year. I don't either. I think um, it's vote. Isn't it vote based? Or I guess it's just like members of the Academy. Um, I'm always curious who the voting body is. Um, I have uh, no idea. These... I I know that like regular people can vote can vote for like the Academy Awards and the Oscars and shit. So mm-hmm. I don't know how it works with the Grammys. I mean, it also, also Beyonce lost her limit. Beyonce lost for self-titled to, to Beck, who I actually really like Beck, but that album was not the album that should have, that should have won over self-titled. The, it's the, it's the I don't disrespect. get Beck. I don't get him as a I, Beck is a, Beck, I like Beck because of very specific, like, reasons because you know he like harkens There's back like, to a very specific time in my life totally there's like but one like, or two songs of his that i like and i'm like oh this is a jam but like the a whole beck album throw me out of a car window no thank you <laughs> i'm not listening to that <laughs> from start so, to finish that much beck that's too much Beck. <laughs> so jane jane's had her her fill her fill of beck and we're gonna hope as we move into the movie for today that you haven't not to cut you off, I'm sorry. I was no, just no, saying no. we're gonna hope that you haven't had your your fill of cruise just yet. Um Well <laughs> Watch what you say. Watch what you say. Well, it's like I'm gonna say I'm gonna say two things. Jane, David Miscavige start. is standing right behind you. Don't freak out. Good. He's in I'm gonna say two I, I'm gonna say two things. I think he's missing now too. Like nobody's seen him. Mm. And I wanna know where the you fuck better late low. <laughs> Shelly Miscavige's. He's that probably, woman you hasn't think been seen since like 2006 or something. Didn't and Gerard Carmichael make a joke about that in the Golden Globes? He did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, <laughs> he was such an iconic host of the Golden Globes. I didn't see I, it. I need to oh, I... It. I didn't see it either. I just literally skipped through and watched his jokes. Like someone okay. made like a real or like uh, YouTube of like ev- all of his times he was on stage. And I just watched that because I don't really care about the Golden Globes either. But he's so good. He's, he's so, funny. so fucking funny. Gerard did, Car- Carmichael. Did you watch? Did you watch with Daniel? Of course I did. Oh, oh my, my god. god. It is so good. <sighs> so good. It's like it, it's it's a masterpiece and it is uncomfortable and funny and just enlightening and it makes you feel like you are just sitting down in the room and having a conversation with him. It's wild. Kind of like groundbreaking too as far Un- as like so like, groundbreaking. Like this new way to think through like the potentials of like a comedy special and like the limitations of comedy like very experimental very brave you mm-hmm. know um so i mean incredible the so for those of you who don't know um it's uh gerard Car- carmichael's special on comedy special on hbo called rathaniel and it's uh, he talks about a lot of things but one of the most significant things in that special is that he comes out as gay and it is, 
I mean, to me, like I, I love stand up comedy so much and I, I think there's so much that can be done within the genre. But you love really... amateur stand up comedy a lot too. <clears throat> I do. I, I I absolutely do. I like you know, one of my favorite things is to go to like Zany's or Laugh Factory in Chicago and like just go see local people and um <clears throat> but so like i i love just how much can be done within the genre like i feel like it's such a wide breadth i love laughing but i also like love connecting with people mm -hmm. being vulnerable and i think like that this is like top tier in terms of those kinds of specials so it was but it, it was but really it, it was reminding me back of that that tignataro special that she did oh yeah when she talked about when she was first diagnosed with breast cancer and um had a number of like health issues and she immediately went on stage and it was just a state she went on to the stage at largo in la and just did like a a set a totally unrehearsed set and it was like this huge groundbreaking thing for her and it was so it was it, it gave me the same feeling where it was like you are really hearing the pain and also like the the comedy within the pain even though you're not fully like moved through the pain i think a lot of people talk about comedy being like tragedy plus time equals comedy but there's so much comedy also that sits like while you're experiencing the pain and i don't think like a lot of people it's hard to capture it and there are some people who are really masterful at it and i feel like I, this yeah. is one of those moments and it gets me too oh yeah absolutely did i tell no, you that we no, saw no. her last time she was here at the chicago oh, theater did I tell no you? Yeah, yeah yeah she was incredible. was it great mm -hmm. i thought you were gonna have some like messy story about her, no like, kicking you no out or something. but it was one of those things where it was like you have to put your phone in a pouch like nobody can oh you know... one of those yeah, yeah. when you and get iconic like, then you're just like middle. this is this is material that that's nobody's gonna see. I also saw that Mulaney is is doing a new um, comedy, mm -hmm. like perf some sort of comedy set somewhere. And I saw on the, the flyer it said like you know it'll be it's going to be recorded, and so I was like oh, oh yeah yeah he's on he's on I think well he's recording a couple shows around here but it's a small tour it's not a huge I, yeah. tour yeah they love that the big the big stars love this they love small intimate small intimate tours of course that are impossible back, to get into but we're to lucky being in chicago because a lot of people record their um like netflix specials and stuff here they do there's a lot of specials that if you go back and you watch them you'll see jane in the front you row you can see me in in pete holmes in pete holmes's hbo special you can see me and Tara. let him know let him know uh, you were also in um you were in sam kennison's first comedy special too weren't you in the audience <laughs> You love a Sam Kinison reference. Um, for Gen Zers, he is a long past comedian from the eighties. Um, and no, I would not have been old enough to attend his shows, nor would I. Have I remember for show. sure you were in um, you were in Breaking the Rules, his TV special from eighty seven. <laughs> I just like I can tell so hard when you're like trying to be casual reading something off your screen that you just googled. Well, how about well, can you tell right now? Because I'm about to read you. <laughs> So yeah, well, so Jane is a Jane's a Kenny head, um, <laughs> of course, and um, you know, we 
speaking of comedy specials, speaking of special people, um, mm. we are going to move into this week's episode. Um, yeah. With one of America's too. biggest stars. Um, oh, also, before I do, I want to give a shout out to Viola Davis for officially becoming the newest inductee into EGOT. Oh, my God. Um, that's right. We totally forgot. Um, Viola we, Davis is officially an EGOT. Amazing. Right. I mean, just like how, how to get away with legendary behavior. How about yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> how to get away with it all. She's doing it. She's stolen our hearts. Um, the icon. <laughs> and now she's got what do you do? I always feel like that's like such an accomplishment. It's like you just like rest for a second because it's like I don't feel like you could argue with me anymore. It'd probably ruin my marriage if I became an EGOT. <laughs> it would ruin this friendship, I can tell you right now. Oh, oh my God. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Because it would become any time un- I was questioned. Tenable person. Like you wouldn't. <laughs> I didn't say that I wouldn't, but you would really. You, they'd be on a mantle right behind you. <laughs> And you'd be would... like, yeah, when I won the when I won the Oscar. Oh, no, I mean the Emmy. Nope, the, the, the Grammy. <laughs> Fuck, Tony. I, I can't keep them all straight. I can't keep them all straight. No, the Cable Ace Award. They need to make it. A, they need to add the Cable Ace Award to it. What would that mm. make it? Would that make it like a like a key guy? Uh, sure, uh, sure. Gee talk. Yeah, gee yeah, talk. Gee talk. Put the Grammy at the front. Gee talk. And then you could okay. add Cable Ace onto the end because there's okay. a lot of there's a lot of incredible talent. There's a lot of good stuff. Those Cable Ace Award winners, Mother May I Sleep with Danger. I mean, there's <laughs> a lot the, of the. Is the cable are the Cable Ace Awards still happening? They're still, still happening. They're happening. It's oh, a smaller. Okay. It's a smaller thing that that's going on. A lot of the technology, social media has messed up a lot of stuff. Um, but you know, if you get your ear to the ground, if you follow, <laughs> if you fo- follow Meredith Baxter, um, if you follow, you follow her all the way to the Cable Ace Awards. I assume. If you follow Brooke Shields. You know what um, I mean? If you follow Leah Thompson, then you'll know what's going on with the Cable Ace Awards. Wow. Those are our like girls. Brooke, I feel like Brooke Shields is a little more iconic. Than you Leah can be Thompson. iconic and be and attend the Cable Ace Awards. Okay. <laughs> I like, uh, that the, I like the... you. And, and what you're not going to do, you're not going to name her and then pretend like I didn't say Meredith Baxter's name. You're not going to ignore <laughs> the once A-list Leah Thompson, baby. <laughs> Caroline's been in the city and she's been your mom for years. Once a list, Leah Thompson. Come on. What else am I supposed to say? If I said a list, then you would have attacked me because you're small like that. You want it so bad for Leah Thompson. And unfortunately, it's like I think it could happen. Where's the window is closed? No, no, where is Leah Thompson's the whale? Okay, Arnofsky. Did you revive in careers? Yeah, Can we get exactly. my girl Leah Thompson in your next Let's movie? Start with Miss Thompson, if you're nasty. She is. She's whatever she needs to be. <laughs> get that coin and get that role. And, you know, we're excited for her. Speaking right, of Jane? nasty. Speaking of nasty. Oof. We're about to work our way to some risky business. And I think we should do it. I think I, the time I'm, is I'm ready. ready. I'm ready mm. to go back. Way back. Way uh, back before either of us were born. Barely. <laughs> barely. For we were right around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were a a, a a wink in our daddy's eye. That was disgusting. There, that was gross. There was a book that we read in one of my classes, and it came out the year I was born. And when we were having a discussion, somebody was like, "Well, I mean, this is like a really like old book, <laughs> and it's from so long ago." <laughs> And I but was just sitting there. We should just there, get rid of attacked. it and throw it out. <laughs> I was just so attacked. I was like, well, not that long ago. Not that long ago. 
Let's uh, let's keep things in context. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> and this person is like, I was born after the year 2000. It's like, why am I in the same space as you? Right, exactly. <laughs> why am I literally old enough to be your parent? I don't love it. And not like, and not, it, I'm, I'm old. That's the thing is now I'm, I'm old enough that I can say I'm old enough to be your parent. And it's not like a crazy set of circumstances no. that would have had to lead to that. It's like, no, it would have been legal. And you just would have been my kid. He would have been young for you, but it could have happened. It's not unheard of. Yeah. But this is the thing. These kids these days who just go straight kids, from undergrad kids to grad days. school to... Absolutely. The phrase kids these days just kids makes you these... instantly sound a million. <laughs> well, how's this? The youth... Mm-hmm. Is that better? The youth nowadays... Much better? The youth Absolutely. nowadays, they go, they do undergrad, they go straight, instead of getting a job, they go straight from undergrad to grad school, and then straight to get their PhD. You took time, you lived your life before you went and decided Barely. to invest in your, you know, higher education. So yeah, they're, I mean, they're literally, they're, they're reading Elizabeth Wurzel with Sylvia Plath. I mean, it's all just like ancient to them. Okay. So I'm sure if you, you like brought up like Prozac Nation to them, they'd be like, oh, was that after Pride and Prejudice? <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's no, like we're... a little bit. Yeah. A little bit after Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Um, but speaking of things from way back, uh, way yeah, back. We have, we have a classic. Jane gave me risky business. Is what she gave me, mm-hmm. and I had to. I, I watched that one this week. I'd never seen it before. It's an iconic classic film. I often get confused with the other movie I've never seen, Cocktails. So now I have context for one of them. And, Did you just uh, call it Cocktails? That's what it's called, right? No, it's Cocktail. One single cocktail. Just one tail. One tail. And one cock. I take it. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> All right. I did not know that. Um. But, you know, me and my people are known for bastardizing the names of things. So it is not <laughs> it is not surprising to me that I would have gotten that completely wrong. Um, I, did, I, sure, I for sure thought it was multiple cocktails happening at one time. But <laughs> I think it's uh, just the one. Just like, just like how black people keep saying House of Dragons. And it's like the House of the Dragon is the name <laughs> of the show. But we keep saying, <laughs> you, watch, you watch House of Dragons. It's like, <laughs> to be fair, I would I would hold I would not clock that. I feel like I call it House You'd of be Dragons like, okay. too. Oh, okay. Gotta honor because it's like I haven't watched it though. But I did watch Game of Thrones. But I just feel like there were a lot of dragons in Game of Thrones. So I'd imagine it'd be like the House of Dragons, plural. Or is it just gonna be or we have more than one now? Or or is it just one? Is it just about the story of one dragon, maybe? I don't know, I haven't watched it yet. We gotta find out. Um, but before we get to that, I want to know if you have a synopsis that you prepared for um for the <clears throat> listeners this week to jump into, you know, that risky risky. I do. Ugh, I do. Um, <laughs> I do hate it. <laughs> that risky risky. I just didn't. I wasn't. It was. It didn't hit me in the right way. I hated it. That risk. <laughs> We're doing business. everything we can to st- stop from starting this podcast. So let me I'm just ready get for this it. out it's happening. of the way. All right. <clears throat> this is 1983's <clears throat> Risky Business. Joel Goodson is the typical 1980s everyman. 
if we forget about anyone else besides white, straight, wealthy heterosexuals. He's an above average student, but not what one would refer to as Ivy League material. That is, of course, if you're only looking at grades and not social standing and familial connections. His parents want him to get into Princeton. He feels the pressure and is experiencing weird anxiety sex dreams about the horrors of having to go to a perfectly good state school. If you ask his friends, Miles and Glenn, they tell you that Joel is tightly wound and all he needs is to have sex with a beautiful woman or many beautiful women or just a woman at all, literally any breathing woman. Getting laid to the male lead of a 1980s movie is tantamount to breathing, and Joel's buddies are hellbent on getting him some oxygen. Lucky for them, the perfect opportunity arises. Joel's parents are headed out of town for the week, and he's got the place all to himself. Time to drink some brewskis, go on a couple of joy rides in his dad's Porsche, and dance around in his iconic tidy whiteies. Miles, the scraggly mop-top friend, thinks that that's all well and good, but there's one element missing. He decides to take matters into his own hands and calls up a sex worker to come to Joel's house. Jackie, the kinder than she really needs to be sex worker, shows up and they quickly decide as a group that she's way out of Joel's league. She takes off, but not before leaving the number of her friend Lana, who would be a better fit for our newbie Joel. Joel plucks up the courage to call the mysterious Lana, and they end up having sex all night in every room of his parents' house. When they wake up in the morning, Joel is flabbergasted to have to pay $300 in exchange for goods and services. He doesn't have the cash, so it's off to the bank he goes. When he returns, he finds his house empty. Lana is nowhere to be found, and more importantly, the stupid glass egg that resides on the mantle over the fireplace is gone too. <laughs> What's a John to do? Joel springs into action and heads over to the Drake. He's gotten a tip that Lana's on the job there tonight, and he's going to try to make an exchange with her. Cash for the glass egg. He finds Lana looking sexy as ever, but there's a problem. The only thing that doesn't go with her stunning outfit is a heavy crystal egg. She clearly doesn't have it on her. She promises to get him what he's looking for if he just gets her the hell out of there. They're seated in Joel's Porsche negotiating when a crazed man starts banging on the window telling them to open up. As soon as they see a gun in his hands, it's time to put the pedal to the metal. The loony with the gun hops into a car and follows them on a wild goose chase up Lakeshore Drive and through the North Shore. The crazed man with the gun, also known as Guido, Lana's pimp, isn't able to keep up with Joel and his slick moves, and they eventually end up back at his house for another night of lovemaking to the soft sounds of Phil Collins. Lana lets Joel know that this roll in the hay is on the house, but she's got to stay for a while to get out from under the clutches of Guido. Joel is hesitant, but he knows that he knows that one of the only ways he's going to get that crystal egg back is if he helps Lana. Lana gets settled and even invites her friend Vicky to come kick it in the suburbs with her and Joel. So what's a high school senior, his buddies, and a couple of sex workers hanging out on a school night supposed to get up to? Let's take a joyride in the Porsche to get some ice cream and get stoned. An innocent night out turns into a disaster when Joel's father's Porsche accidentally makes its way into Lake Michigan. <laughs> they are able to retrieve it, but the damages are expensive and Joel is going to need to get a lot of money fast. So what's a teenage boy with an empty house, a bunch of rich friends, and access to Chicago's finest sex workers going to do? 
don't have a Steuben crystal egg to look into and predict the future, but if I had to place a bet, I'd guess Joel and Lon are about to start a risky business. Mm -hmm. That risk risk. It's never mm -hmm. been riskier. <laughs> Everybody loves a little risk with their with their with their business, right? Jane? You worked at the Bunny Ranch for a couple. I did, yeah. Years. You gotta make ends meet however you can. And I So you tore look, your ACL, I remember. Exactly. I you was tell everybody um, it's a football injury now though, because you're for whatever reason. <laughs> Um, well, because I was also a great linebacker, so people will believe both. I do remember when I was in grad school, I told someone that jokingly that I had played football at Ole Miss, <laughs> and they like didn't believe me. <laughs> but I told them, and I was so why not? Actually, I would believe you because you're like a big dude, you're muscly. Like I feel like you look like you could play football. I he he believed me. He was like, "Oh my god!" Oh, he did believe you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he did. Okay. Um, and, and we so had cell phones you... back then. I don't know why he didn't just search. Um, <laughs> but he did believe me. And then I told him like a couple weeks later, it wasn't true. And he he like came up to me and asked me something about a game. And I was like, Ugh. I was like, it was a lie. Which like, by the way, when you do that to people, like, <laughs> which like you d used to do a lot, I feel like in your 20s. Uh, yeah, I've stopped doing it as much. But when you do that to people, like. <laughs> It's like it makes them feel like dumb pieces of shit. And... I know. It's I've seen people think that something is real about you and then find out at another time and feel so deflated. And then I'm like, it was just a joke because it was to me. But then like, or like somebody comes up to you and they've been believing this thing. So it's like, once you believe something, then it grows. And so they like feel this sort of connection, this familiarity. And then you're like, just like, you're just like, oh, that was a lie. And then they're like, I'm still processing it. Um, it's but, terrible. You know, it's a cruel thing to do to other people because it you is. manipulate them into believing something true. Well, here's about you, the thing. And then they connect with you, and then you're like, you dumb bitch, you thought that was true. Mm -mm. I, okay, I never said you dumb bitch. Although, <laughs> but, and it is like, it's not like I. It's did implied. It. It's not like I did it to get something from a person. You know what I mean? Like, I, know. I did it. I did it. It was to, just fun for you. Well, you know what? That's not true. I did it to see how they would react. I'm always mm -hmm. very curious about people who are going to react to things because I just am curious about people. So that's mm -hmm. more or less what it is. And also, if you tell me it's not true, then I will like triple down. I so, know like, I've been in that situation with you where I knew you were lying to me and you spent so fucking long and so much time trying to convince me that you were telling me the truth. This is like, that's so gaslighting. I'm like hearing this out loud. <laughs> Making you sound like a monster. It's I'm not that It's not that serious. No, Every it's just it's just funny <laughs> it's to me. And typically I just say I'm joking right after. But it is mm -hmm. funny sometimes when you, when you do. It's just funny. I don't know how to describe it. It's not a serious <laughs> thing. I want, to, I want to read out um, our producer who is also, for those of you, if you're listening to the first time, Brandon's husband. For a little bit longer, maybe. A little bit longer. His comment on the whole thing is, no, it's toxic. So I spoken think. Like a true, spoken like a true simp. <laughs> no. He's a, simp, he's a simp for you, Brandon. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a like a new R&B joint. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it is. Um, 
It's just like you don't, I don't know. to be fair, you don't really do it anymore. But it was really fun for you to fuck with people every now like, and then. Parties. I do though. It's yes. here's the thing too, and this is where I think I'll get you. Anybody out there who has a really dry sense of humor, that's okay. what it's connected to more than mm-hmm. more than anything else. And you know, I listen to other podcasts. I'm a really big fan of Bob the Drag Queen and Monet Exchange to mm-hmm. uh, Drew. RuPaul's Drag Race contestants, they have a podcast called Sibling Rivalry. Bob mm-hmm. does it a lot too. And I think it's really funny when Bob does it because it's like a humor that I can appreciate because mm-hmm. it's just like watching people be painted into a corner really quick and then <laughs> try to get out of it and not be able to. I'll tell this story in the moment to the episode. When I worked at Starbucks, I had a boss who didn't know me very well and she didn't typically work shifts with me. So there was a shift that we were working together and we were i was behind the counter and there was a cab driver who had come in and he had been quite like rude like a couple of different times but i was at the i was making drinks so i was in the middle of making drinks and she walked over this white woman and she was like oh my god she was like that cab driver who's at the register he came in yesterday and he's just always like he's always the biggest asshole and I looked over and it was a black gentleman and i was like oh i was like i guess i don't really feel that way about him because he's my dad and she was like <laughs> what and i was like that's my father and she I was like and she was like oh no he's not and i was like yes he is that's my dad and she was like oh my god brandon i'm so sorry and i was like it's okay and i was in the middle of making a drink and i was gonna go over right after i finished the drink and be like i'm just kidding that's not my dad and i look up from behind the drink like the drink machine uh the espresso machine and I see her walk out to the floor and put her hand out as he's like putting like cream in his coffee. And she's like, oh my God, I didn't know you were you were Brandon's dad. I'm the manager here. And I'm like, oh no, 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 no. And then she looks up at me and I'm like, no, no, he's not my dad. He's not my dad. And then she's like, oh. And she turns red and she's like, I'm so sorry, sir. And then she just runs to her office and closes the door because she's mortified. You humiliated. That is so horrible. And that man was so confused. He was like, what? <laughs> oh my God. I couldn't help it. She was so upset. And she was like, I can't believe you did that. And I was like, I'm sorry. I was like, I, I should have just told you sooner. I just want that. T- I just want the moment where you where you like fully give over to my to the lie. And then I want to be like, I'm just kidding. You just want to convince people, but it's got you want you want to be able to lie to people and have them believe you and then reveal the yes. truth. But I want but the reaction. I want the reaction is... once they believe me. I want to watch mm-hmm. them work through that. And mm-hmm. I want like the awkward stammering. And then I mm-hmm. want to be able to shut it all down and be like, haha, just a, just a joke. And like <laughs> you're sick. You're a sick person. <laughs> I am a dry, I have a dry, dry, I have a very dry sense of humor. And that really does it for me. Uh, which I've also been told, which also, by the way, for all the listeners, it backfires too. Because when you're mm-hmm. telling the truth about things, I, well, I think we just heard a story about how it backfired. <laughs> nobody believes you. So when you tell people about something that happened to you, it takes a really long time and oh. you get really frustrated with people, mm-hmm. but you know deep down inside you can't be because they're just going <laughs> off of like the years of like experiences that they have with you lying. So when you come in the house and you're like, oh, this happened or, oh, I did this. And everybody's like, no, you didn't. And you're like, no, 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 but really. And then you're getting angry. And then they're like, no, because you don't have a leg to stand on. So unless you have like verifiable proof of the thing that you're saying, it, it's just, it's like a, it's, it's a double-edged sword, you know? And so. So I have known you for like, what, 15 years now at this point, probably. Yeah, that's right. Since and... you were my sub. And excuse me. Since you were my substitute teacher in high school. No. <laughs> um, you remember? And I Apple have. 
I have noticed that I'm I'm never gonna tell you what, but you have a tell when you're lying, and I am able to pick up on it. No, Dave has never... told me what my tell is, and I think you what? probably are gonna say the same one. But I don't want to tell you because if it's a different one, then I don't need you knowing any other tells. So you just have what you have. All right, Dave and I will get together at some point and talk it out. <laughs> so speaking of lies, that should lead us right into risky business, Ooh. which just so everybody knows, we're coming up on the 40th anniversary. Of when Dang. Rick's Risky Business was released. It was released on August the 5th, 1983. It was made on a budget of $6.2 million, And it made $63.5 million at the box office. So let's just say it was a hit. Okay. <laughs> a runaway hit. <laughs> right. One of the movies that got our that got our boy, um, Tommy, can you hear me? Uh, Tom Cruise. On Skyrocketed the into frame. Yeah. Yeah, boo boo. He did it. <laughs> um, and um, this movie... Uh, it's, 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 it's really funny because I was like, it has that, that quality of like a, it's not John, John Hughes, but it has it's a not quality. John Hughes, but it's, it's, I mean, John Hughes is, a, he does sh- movies in Chicago and the suburbs of Chicago. So it has that same feeling and it's around the same time where John Hughes is putting out all those movies. Yeah. Paul Brickman actually directed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and but he it wrote all, it too. Yes, and he wrote it. But it mm-hmm. also, the thing about it that I was thinking about as I was taking notes on this movie, the thing that I don't think I'd realized before, like I knew that John Hughes was like this really iconic like director, you know, um, mm-hmm. and really did a good job of just documenting like the the the, the angst of white teens. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, but what was it about the movies that made them so special? I just want to specify. Um, no, I uh, think that's a really important specification. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. But I think what it was, was that he was, like, I feel like one of the first directors who, like, tapped into, like, the pathos of, like, of, like, the existence of, like, like, teen life. He gave it, like, the weight of, like, importance and the seriousness that, like, I feel like a lot of teen movies, they sort of, like, float over it. But I think that whether or not he felt like these were truths, he was, cinematically, he was, like, by by giving it sort of, like, this space, I feel Mm -hmm. like he was... He was basically kind of, to me, he was kind of saying, I don't know if this is the truth. I don't know if these circumstances are as dire as they feel like to these people, mm-hmm. but they feel dire to them. So I'm going yes. to acknowledge those feelings of pain and alienation, and I'm going to treat them with, I'm going to treat them with like a weight and a respect that's not often given to like te- movies that deal in like teenage life. And I think that he was groundbreaking in that way. And mm-hmm. And I think that like, he sort of gave a validity to like the to like to like the pain and the confusion and like the frustration that goes along with being like a teenager in the world who's like trying to figure out who they are and like you know the things that now we look back on them and at times we think to ourselves well that really wasn't that big of a deal but at that time it felt like at it time was everything and i think yeah. that's so significant to have too to watch when you are a teenager too where it's like this is a thing made by adults who remember or who have written something that has the memory of like how difficult it is to be a teenager because we always like and i do this as an adult as well like you know, you sort of roll your eyes at what's difficult, you know, what what a teenager is complaining about or what they're going through. But I remember in high school saying to myself and saying to my parents, too, like, I am going to remember what this feels like and how difficult this is when I have kids. You know, obviously, I don't have any kids now, but you know what I mean? Like, when I have kids so I can, like, really treat this 
you know, with the respect it deserves. Because you often feel like your parents don't understand you and don't like, because they're dealing with adult sized problems with, you know what I mean? That they obviously are like in the grand scheme of things, like probably a little bit more significant than what you're dealing with as a teenager. But you don't have that perspective when you're 15, 16, 17. All you know is that your life is falling apart because, you know, someone said something horrible about you and it's a rumor spreading and now everybody thinks, you know, you have, uh, I don't know, cooties. something wrong with you. Yeah, cooties or whatever. I don't know. What are these kids talking about these days? I don't know. It's different <laughs> now, I can tell you that. Because in your mm-hmm. day, I know it was a lot of it was about the potato famine. That was mm-hmm. a big part of the mm-hmm. conversation y'all were having, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. As teenagers, we were talking a lot about the potato famine and um, how it was affecting our, our families. So those were actually pretty significant problems. And you had your ear to the ground when a lot of that stuff was going on with the WPA and like mm-hmm. what was going on with the Great Depression as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, I had to leave school and go into the workforce and, you know, we were having shoe soup with the rest of them. So it was a tough time. <laughs> I don't know why shoe soup really did it for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, we all we all know about that, that uh, that Keds bra. That everybody was uh <laughs> was supping on back then um there's a woman that i follow she passed away i think r.i.p but she has a she had a channel on youtube she was this very old she was an older woman and she had a channel that was literally just her doing depression recipes and oh depression era recipes so she was an older woman yeah and she would like she would like in my share. mind you were telling me about a youtuber who was like 25 and you were being so flippant about first of all jane you know we're opposites i was just about to say i should have known that the people you're seeking out on youtube are geriatric literally in their 80s and 90s but she would make the recipes and she would talk about how like this was like a special dish like during the depression or like Mm. she would make like a like shaved ice she'd be like this was like a really like when my dad got like a little extra money he'd give us like a nickel and me and my sister would go get Shave guys, this is how you make it. And like she'd make the whole thing. She was she was a G. I'm I mean, Aww. I never I'd love to hear her opinion on Croco Race Theory. Uh, but I think <laughs> that would have blown the whole thing up for me. Um what are they belly aching about now? Uh but <laughs> None yeah, of us I was said anything back in the day. None of us had anything. We were all equal. We might as well we were we were basically treated like the blacks too. It's like all right, easy <laughs> Edna. Um I don't know what all this privilege is. I didn't have two pennies to run to get none of us had anything. Color had nothing to do with it. They were on their side of the town and we were on ours. That's how we all wanted it. Uh sure, Jan. But okay. <laughs> but yeah, very very that. And I completely like agree with you that it's just like it all felt like a lot it all felt life or death then. And I've gone back and found some of my cringy ass shit I wrote. And mm-hmm. I don't know what was going on. Some of those days, I'm just like, I don't know what you were talking about. Like mm-hmm. you were really on one beef. Like I read <laughs> it and it's embarrassing. You know, when you're embarrassed when you're in a room alone and nobody's around and you're just like, oh my God, I wrote this. Like yeah. anything from my teen years that I find, I'm always like, you were doing too much the dramatics are insane and this this is us reacting to ourselves it's like us still not giving our our teenage selves the grace to like have those full feelings because you know as an adult it is so hard to feel bad for kids who are like 
fully taken care of, like living off their parents. Yeah. All you got to do is go to school and do well, which, by the way, was very difficult for me. So <laughs> also, I do want to point out in diving into the movie, you first mm-hmm. of all, you you shared something that was not true in your synopsis. You said that he was you said you called him like an excellent student. Above average is what you said. And he was literally the definition of average. Baby boy had, oh, I'm sorry if you're listening to this. Okay, maybe this This is, this is about to come from some, in a a student, an excellent student privilege, but go off. Because uh, 3.14, 3.14 is, is, is. Is that above average? Like, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, is that is a well? If you GPA think the average? scale is zero to four, then three point one four is absolutely above average. But it's that not is great. The, do we think it's not two great, but it's is passable. a two point average though? Would two point GPA I mean, be considered like middle of the road? I mean, it's not middle of the road. You want to do better for sure. <laughs> you want to be above average. You want to be well. You want to be a good student, and you are. He's not that far away from a four it's it is a little bit like the white audacity to think that you could get into princeton with these scores even in 1983 that to me was like that was the part of that for me i was just like the character richard mazer character actor he plays um he plays mr rutherford he comes to the house in the middle of the full-on like bordello that they got popping and he is there to do like this interview, which for me, and I get why it was a plot device, but I get why like I, I get why he was there for the for like moving the plot forward. But it was funny to think about like, first of all, like I imagine if you're a person who's getting like at home visits, and it may have been very different in the in like the early eighties, but like an at home visit from Princeton would like it was just like this could have been a phone call. But I get why we needed to get him here for like for like dramatic purposes. It was just a funny scene to be like Totally. I feel like those at home visits, I thought those visits were for like people where it's like we're courting you and we're gonna show up because we wanna sit down and have dinner with you and your parents and like talk to you about like why you should come to our school. So I Or did you have that on? I have... Did you No oh, oh honey. Absolutely not. No, I was I was one of the worst students in my school. So no, there was no one who was like, maybe we could have her talk to a representative from Princeton. No, no, no. But I did know people who would have interviews with people. Because like, I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know exactly why this would happen because I never really asked a lot of questions about it. But I did have friends who had like, um, it was it's usually like alumni representative who were like uh, on like okay. some sort of board who would be like, yeah, I can interview a prospective student. Like you would have to go and do an interview with, uh, it's, it was so long ago, it's hard for me to remember, but like some people for some schools, particularly Ivy League schools, and like i grew up in boston i knew a lot of people who ended up going to ivy league cambridge okay well i grew up in cambridge i know a lot of people who ended up going to those schools because that was that was a a huge goal for people in that area of the world it wasn't my goal but you know what i mean that was very significant where i grew up i don't know if that was super significant where everyone else grew up but for some people it really was and where you went to college was really significant Again, not for me, but for a lot of people that I knew growing up. No, it makes... Those interviews happen, but I don't understand the dynamics of it. It actually, that makes sense. And also, I'm thinking if you have, like, 
I mean, obviously, I know this, but, like, if you have the privilege and, like, the money, then, mm-hmm. like, also those interviews are an opportunity to, like, to use, if you have persuasive interview skills, yes. or your parents do, then those interviews are an opportunity for you to sell them on things. Because I am a firm believer in the fact that, like, the way the system is set up, it's fucked, and it's, like, extremely, oh, like... Oh, 100%. It's extremely racist and extremely hierarchical, and, like... Absolutely. It is, it is about things that it shouldn't be about. And, like, as we all know, there are people who don't test well, and who, who mm-hmm. don't make good grades, who are fucking geniuses, and, like, incredible, yeah. and smart, and, like often honestly me coming from the school that i went to were like the me come jane yeah jane's one of them me coming from the school <laughs> i that bet you I, guys can't see you guys can't see us on camera but i literally begged him to say furiously it was me yeah furiously um furiously pointing at herself um <laughs> but i do know people some of the smartest people i know didn't even go to college and you know what i mean they're just super intelligent because they're just intelligent people like it's not necessary it's not necessary you know and like watching a movie like this sort of demonstrates that all all the more it's such a game i know some i know such i know some dummies who went to really really prestigious schools because they're really good test takers Mm -hmm. and like they couldn't like they couldn't work their way out of a paper bag like oh they, my you God. can have whole conversations with them. That was a whole thing. There's like this. There was a subset of students that were like, you couldn't have conversation with them just about like the happenings in the world. Like you couldn't. They like their EQ was so you. low. Let me but tell they you. They tested well. I okay. <laughs> As you mentioned, I grew up in Cambridge, which means I was surrounded by people who went to Harvard, who, you know, parents of friends who went to Harvard, like all of these people who were very, one of the most prestigious schools in the country. And I went to Harvard parties when I was in high school. Like I met, and I had uh, people in high school who I knew who went to Harvard as well, because it's a big feed in from, you know, Cambridge high school. They're like a, a large number of students from Cambridge who public schools who end up going to Harvard. Um, not a large number, but larger than I think like a lot of like a, a concentrated amount from specific school. Um, some of the dumbest fucking people I've ever met went to Harvard and it has absolutely nothing to do with your intelligence. It has, first of all, the number one thing is money. You have to be a wealthy person. You, it is so rare these days to at, at least from my experience to even be in conversation with the school if you don't have a significant amount of money i think there's like a handful of people who get you know scholarships and stuff like that but really it's wealthy people it's um legacy people people who have parents who went there um and familial connections and people's whose family make huge endowments and then people who are able to do really, really well in school. You have to get like, I remember I heard a statistic one year that they reject enough people with um, perfect SAT scores to fill the entire freshman class of Harvard. Like you have to get, you have to have perfect SATs, you have to have perfect extracurriculars, and you have to have all of those things and connections. It is the most fucked up system. And what we're finding out now, and I think what Gen Z is finding out about now is like, (laughs) where you went to college or if you went to college means fucking dick. Oh yeah, like it it means like, okay. 
I will say that like that is true, but unless you went to a place like Harvard, unless you went to, but but <laughs> I think I think what I'm seeing now, and just like with my own experience as a person who has, dropped you work in hiring, college, you work in hiring as well, or you well, have. I mean, I I I I work on teams where I've had to like hire people. Mm-hmm. We never ever talk about anybody's education like we don't care as long as you have the most important thing is experience and if you have relatable experience people do not care if you went to school or where you went to school in my world at all and as a person who dropped out of college and didn't finish school my experience counts for so much more than anything else and i mean it wasn't it didn't used to be like that when i first started out because i didn't have the experience and i didn't have the degree so i had to work a lot harder to like just beg people to give me that experience but now that i have it it's just as valuable, you know? Absolutely, no. And I and I it's funny because obviously we're talking about a movie that was from nineteen eighty three. Right. So like Different this time. is very much a world where like that kind of thing does mm-hmm. uh, matter. And like, I mean, in addition to that, we also have Joel, uh, Tom Cruise. This is one of the movies that made him like uh, I mean, arguably the movie that made him like a star. Like he had been in mm-hmm. other movies, but this was like this was like the one, the crossover sort of uh movie um and yeah we we this movie starts with like this dream sequence which i thought was really funny it's like this dream sequence where he is like he opens a bathroom door and it's this woman in the shower um which is really funny random unnamed woman (laughs) random unnamed woman and it's just like she's in the shower bathing he slowly walks towards the foggy shower. Once he gets inside, he finds himself inside of a classroom. And he realizes that he's got less than five minutes left to take, like, this really important, like, SAT test. Um, <laughs> and uh, we've all been there. We've all had those kinds of dreams where mm-hmm. those are the worst. Those are the worst dreams ever when you're supposed to be somewhere. And, like, as an actor, those used to be the dreams that would haunt me. It was always a mm-hmm. dream where, like, I was supposed to be on stage and I was, like, outside with somebody while they were like chain smoking a cigarette and i like heard the the song that was starting that like i was supposed to be on stage for and i'm like trying to get back in the theater but i can't because the door's locked it's just (gasps) like stressful yeah did you ever have dreams where you were supposed to be on stage but you didn't know your lines that would be my i feel like my biggest fear i never had that dream there was a play that i was in in high school where i had to be inside of like a box and they had to open the box to get me out and i remember like i had i've had since that play which was like one of my first plays i've had multiple times the dream about that moment where like i'm backstage and they push the box out on stage and i'm not in it and i'm like oh my my god God, he's gonna open that box and there's no bit um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, I, it's always dreams about me supposed to be on stage and not being where I'm supposed to be at. Um, I worked at a theater where like the dressing rooms were like, it was an outdoor theater and the dressing rooms were really far away. Like far mm-hmm. enough away that you needed like a, like a minute to casually, a minute to two minutes to casually walk to the backstage area to make an mm-hmm. entrance from the dressing room. And they had speakers in it, but sometimes the dressing room, it's like a larger building and it would be so rowdy in there that like if you weren't paying attention, you could miss your cue line. And then you, the realization that you have to be on stage is very different when you're in a dressing room that far away from like the actual like stage structure than totally. it is when you're just backstage and you hear a cue and you're like, oh, let me run on stage right now. 
It's like you couldn't run on stage if you wanted to. Like the moment you realize that you need to be on stage, there is at least, even if you're running 20 to 30 seconds more of a person on stage living in the reality of you not being there. So it's like, it's just, it's a mess. So those kind of dreams always horrify me. And I'm sure for, you know, a bloke like Joel, this whole test thing um, was really important. And uh, yeah, but we're introduced to him and we're introduced to his gang, his crew of homies. His crew of homies who are supposed to be high school age. They None of them look like they're high school aged. Miles, yeah. the guy who plays Miles, looks like he's 45. He was he was two twenty. The actor was 28 when they filmed. Curtis Armstrong, yes. uh, who I know uh, affectionately as Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. Yes, um, absolutely. He's in a lot Revenge of stuff. Nerds? I have seen Revenge of the Nerds. Not in a really long time, but it's one of my mom's favorite movies. Really? <laughs> my mom has a wide breadth of... As I do. Yeah. She loves she loves a stupid movie, as she likes to call, call them. Like, Caddyshack is one of her favorite movies. I've um, never seen Caddyshack. I, I, I know that, because I think you revealed that to me at one point. Um... So interesting. Yeah. But no, you're right, though. Like, I'd say of the friends, we also have a Bronson Pinchot, who uh, he's, a, I mean, he's a wonderful friend, but he's a perfect stranger. He really is. Um, he's, a, he's a classic Chicago actor. Balky, um, baby. Um, he we, was like we 23. Know, we love and know him as Balky. Absolutely. The, oh, he's rocking that iconic. silver now. He's watching that full silver. Go, you go off. Go off, Bronson. Good for um, him. Good for him. Also, like, Megan Mullally was in this movie as call girl number eight, apparently. Yes. Which is so, so I didn't. I didn't realize that in the actual movie until I was looking it up. And then they were like, and then I saw a screenshot of her and I was like, oh, I would have never clocked that. Come through. Come through, Meg. Come through, um, Meg. Yeah. And we also, so we have all these characters. We have Joe Pantoliano as Guido, which I mm-hmm. thought was a derogatory term. And it is. But it's also the name. But it's and also put, a name. It's also the name of the character. And there's a scene in the movie where Rebecca De Mornay, who's our leading lady, there's a scene where she's in the car with Joel. After the hookup, he's brought her back to the city proper from the suburbs, and they're being chased in a car. Mm-hmm. Um, he runs when, into her in the city, and then she's like, looking, I need to run. He's looking for her. She's at the Drake. She's. He wants to confront her because he wants to get his crystal egg back his steuben crystal egg and, and she's trying to the get drake away hotel from... by the way not not our certified lover boy although he's been with oh everybody. yeah sorry the drake hotel an iconic hotel in chicago yeah and they are in the car and they end up in this car chase and she's screaming out the window wait <laughs> and i thought she was just screaming like a racist like term <laughs> And I was like, let's calm down, Lana. Um, but then I was I... like, oh, that's his name. Okay. <laughs> Go off. Because I was so confused for a second. She was, the weird thing about that car is that she's screaming out the car window, like antagonizing him. And it's like, yeah, why are you like, doing this, girl? Like literally poking it's... the bear. Like, he's literally holding a gun. Like, your life is in danger. And you're like, Guido, fuck you, Guido, blah, blah, And it's like, just just get away. Focus on getting away. Just you know what I mean? On. Yeah, it, it's very that. And also, interestingly, apparently Rebecca DeMornay and Tom Cruise started dating during this movie. I um, heard. Which I didn't I know like, that about okay. them. but She had been you know. with Harry Dean Stanton before him. 
which I was shocked. You guys, if you don't, if you can't picture Harry Dean Stanton, please just take a moment to pull out your phone and Google him because it's quite a leap. I know the times are different. He may have been a little bit younger and maybe looked like a little bit more dashing. But Not Harry Dave. Dean... Dave screamed no from the other <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton looks like everyone you would think of as like... He looks like an extra from the cast of Deliverance. Always. Yeah, no, that is very true. But like been in iconic films. Godfather Part Two, Cool Hand. Incredible, Luke, incredible actor. Pretty in pink. Speaking of old Husey, Wild at Heart. Yeah. Lots yeah. of really like iconic films. And when you see him, you'll be like, Oh, that person. Uh great character actor. But, but it's also I, like I what? implore you to type in Harry Dean Stanton nineteen eighty three into your Googler. And see what we're looking at versus Tom Cruise, who is just very different looking. And look, I want to say before I get got, no, you all said bodies, what you said. Are, all bodies and faces are beautiful. Oh, she barely got <laughs> out. <laughs> I um, do believe that, and I'm sorry that I'm talking about it because it's not right. But I did yeah. it. And I gotta, I gotta stand behind. I got, I, I got to. I have to give weight to the fact that I am not perfect, and sometimes things that are inappropriate make me laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Harry Also, there was like a not that it. I mean, it doesn't matter. Whatever. We're qualifying everything. You guys, you know, okay. You know what a, kind of people we are. <laughs> this is a you no. Know, there was a thirty-three year age difference between Harry Dean Stanton and Rebecca De Mornay as well. Like, oh, I mean, I didn't quite mean, a bit. Yeah, that, that's a yeah, lot. He was born in the 1920s. So, like, <gasps> yeah, he's. Yeah, <laughs> okay. So he's, I mean, so, like, I mean, he was dating, like, Rebecca Demore. She was DeMornay. 23? Yeah, she was, like, 23. Okay, and, I take it back. That's fucking gross, honestly. Hey, um, if you're out there and you're married to somebody who's. There's a 33 age difference, and do you? You know what I mean? We don't. We don't judge, we, despite. <laughs> despite the fact that we just hardcore judge. <laughs> I mean, I'd say you were a little harder than me, but I will say that like we make everybody, you figure out your love. You know what I mean? You figure out exactly. your Exactly. And I'm going to um, support and... you. And if you come to me and you say, Jane, I'm in love with a man. He's 33 years older than me. And I say, is he rich? And you say, no, I'm going to be asking a lot more follow-up questions. So you need for, so you need for the person who they're dating to be rich in order for you to support it. I'm just asking. <laughs> <laughs> I forget we're being recorded sometimes when I say the dumbest shit. We should just start this episode over because no, I have no, not no, no, made no. myself Well, you know what's good. interesting about this? Actually, and I have a real question for you now. This is going to be a... <laughs> okay. The age I, difference... I will say this. The age difference okay. between these two is 32 years. How do you feel about Sarah Paulson and Holland Taylor? I knew it before you asked what you were going to say. I think they're a lovely couple and they're adults and they can do what they want. And I feel the same way about um, Rebecca Harry De Mornay Stanton, and Harry Dean Stanton. But the thing, the thing that gives me pause and the difference between those two is Rebecca De Mornay was in her early 20s, presumably 21 to 22 when they started dating because she did this movie, she was 23 and started dating Tom Cruise. So the thing that gives me pause is someone who's 33 years older dating a woman who's in her early 20s that is ultimately the thing that i feel is a little red f flaggy and a little creepy and it's sort it's sort of like hmm if the law was different would you go younger you know what i mean 
Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and that's they, why um, I'm grossed out. But Sarah Paulson and Holland are a lovely couple. I have no, nothing but lovely things to say about them. Yeah, they dated from apparently from 81 to 83. Um, Harry Dean Stanton and Rebecca De Mornay. So she, yeah, she would have been like 20. I mean, when that's they started the dating. That's the thing that is yeah. weird for me. It is. It's it not is. the 33 year old, three to three year age difference. It's where that age difference is taking place in her life. And the fact that like, you know, there's just a lot of horrible stories about older men grooming teenage girls to start dating them when they're become of age so no absolutely absolutely no, you're right they um they, yeah they uh, met on the on the set of a francis ford coppola film i believe and uh i guess the rest was uh was her story um but yeah <laughs> but anyways they, <laughs> no yeah they uh <laughs> yeah that they is... did what they did they met it was called one from the heart was the name of the movie um mm. but yeah and she met tom cruise and harry dean stan said yeah tom cruise saw my girlfriend um so apparently they were playing their own game of basically business on the set um i mean this movie does give us like some really like it gives us some really like some really saucy scenes i mean like the whole sex scene like the the first time that lana and joel meet i mean it is like this I mean, you all know, I'm sure most of you have seen this movie, but like yeah. the scene where like, you know, her dress is removed from her body and Well, the... also she like walks into the house and stands by the window. Like they don't even really talk to each other. No. no and words. the wind picks up in a very unrealistic way. It is like someone walked in with a leaf blower and started <laughs> blowing it and her her dress, dress like starts, starts to fly off and he just like walks up and like caresses her naked body and they get going and it's very saxophony and 80s and leaves blowing and hair in the night sky and all of that they're doing it they're doing it there they're doing it on the stairs of the house they're, they're mm-hmm. getting it in and they're having dave thought it was a dream sequence actually which i get because we've already been introduced to the device of dreams and this felt very yes. dreamlike um which maybe also, it's more of a, like a memory than it is like the reality you know what i mean like yeah because i mean it sounds like a dream for you know a 17 year old kid to last for hours all hours of the night doing it there's no fucking way he would have lasted that long (laughs) yeah (laughs) well funnily it's funny because they're actually the same age so it's really funny to me because she does seem there's something about rebecca that makes her seem like i hold on (laughs) You, we can't just sweep this on the rug because if that was taken as a soundbite on its own, it would sound really bad. I am, I don't know what's wrong with me today. I sound like a an absolute horrible person. No, and you don't. You're fine. And I'm, I'm sure... talking about the longevity of a 17 year old boy to like have sex with a sex worker all night. It doesn't sound great, but I will say it is something that popped into my mind is that that kid couldn't last that long. Well, also obviously like in movies that like that like you know are about teen that's usually like the joke that's usually like a big part of it is like exactly you know the teen virgin boy which we're led to believe he was i guess although they never really explicitly say that i don't think um that he was a virgin i think i I think it was implied but yeah it's implied but yeah mm -hmm. but i mean they're having sex and he's like 
taken the helm and like there he doesn't appear to be having any trouble which is why i think it kind of feels dreamlike as well as like the french doors open and her dress caressing her body and i always also just think these movie sets must have just been the wild west like i know there wasn't an intimacy coach on hand of course not. it was just like this director being like rip her dress off i don't know that i don't know that i shouldn't say that maybe it was i'm sure it was handled with care but it's like why are we so hell-bent on getting ourselves in trouble with my weird this it's a it's a lot when you see a scene like this you're always like i hope it is a lot i just meant like i don't think we like got ahead of ourselves in terms of like thinking that this might this movie might have some themes that we have to be careful we're talking about no we're doing just fine we're doing just fine um but yeah we have this saucy sex scene and then like also i'm instantly perplexed because the next day we wake up and i mean if you think about the fact that they're in a suburb it's like yeah i guess unless you send unless she gets a cab or something how is she gonna get home but it's like also we didn't even talk about the fact that like that first woman jackie showed up who like his friend called and he he gets miles gets on the phone and he makes a phone call and it's like uh, Joel is trying to get him off the phone really quick because he doesn't want him to call this person. And so he's like, uh, he says it really fast, like, oh, we need we need a sex worker at blah, blah, blah. And then like spits out the address and then hangs up really quickly. And she still shows up, which I thought that would never fucking happen. A woman in Chicago who could get plenty of work where she is, is not going to haul her ass up to Glencoe in the North Shore, which is, you know a drive and a half away and like without having like confirmation on like what payment looks like or any of that kind of stuff and so i was like i wish i mean that that was the one part that i was like that would never fucking happen well both of them literally both of these women are at the ready like they both arrive really quickly because lana arrives later that night also i do want to mention um so the actress that the act the actor that plays that role of the first sex worker was also in Enough. Shut up! Who did they play? They played the instructor who teaches her how to fight. <gasps> okay. Okay. So this is. Let's see. Bruce A. Young? Is that who we're talking yes. about? Yes. <gasps> oh, my God. So, the Jackie, the sex worker who shows up, we don't know how she identifies, uh, whether she identifies as drag queen or trans woman or whatever, but it looks like it was played by um, a cis dude who appeared in Enough as well, which is... <laughs> I hate to say it because I, I hate choosing favorites, but Enough is one of my favorite episodes that we've done. Enough so was enough was a good time. It was an iconic moment for us, for Jennifer, for the watershed you know, moment for the podcast. It really Absolutely. is. Absolutely, we had Jennifer so, Lopez actually on that episode, um, which yeah. was crazy that that happened the way that it did. But Jane, obviously being a bean girl from Boston, <laughs> um, has a very <laughs> close familial tie to the Afflecks. And so um, mm-hmm. she was mm-hmm. able to get Benny to um, to reach Benny out to his wife. To get Jenny from the block. <laughs> to get Jenny from the block on, <laughs> on here. The so pod. yeah, we have so a go really ahead wide and, reach. Yeah, so after this episode, go ahead and press play and, and <laughs> listen listen, and see if you can spot her. <laughs> she's there. It's really, she's on there. Her and Jane actually played Mahjong, which I was so surprised. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's sort of a, a good time. It's, 
it's yeah it's sort of a difficult segment on the podcast because you can't really see what's happening but you know we had a great time it'll be hilarious though if you get a chance to listen mm-hmm. um so yeah so we i always love it when actors make when actors make pop-up appearances and i'm like run me <laughs> this when was the last time i saw you um on good our podcast? catch i did not catch that at all i also remember this i also remember bruce because in enough they have the most iconic line of the whole movie which is when they're in the middle of the training and they Mm -hmm. say and as sure as he is a coward he will try to kick you (laughs) and it is so good oh that movie is so good thank you thank you everybody who made that for us yeah Um, it is the gift that continues to give oh my god watch it you will always find something new and hilarious about that watch it and then listen to our episode yeah um yeah no it's but so that was like amazing and then we have like this whole thing my whole thing with this lana character is because it's like (laughs) she's going she's coming back she's going she's coming back but she's got him wrapped around her finger it's like 100 have your night and move on but he is like let me just tell you school is so far back on the list (laughs) um, of important things (laughs) of important things for this bloke and like they're all over chicago they're actually like they're in the suburbs but they're in chicago proper they literally drive on the curve into evanston like Mm -hmm. literally it's still there it was so funny in that shot i saw there's a condominium a big condo shocker where there used to be a gas station it was so funny to see and be like oh my god that's what used to be there um so i know it's so it is funny to see the shots Yeah, because it's like, I was like, I I clocked it as Evanston as well. And then obviously you see a shot of the Baha'i Temple, which is in Wilmette. On yeah. Like the, um, it's also the... in order. It's like sequentially, like unlike another one of our hit films on the podcast, um, Rent-A-Cop, where they're loosey-goosey <laughs> with, their Chica- with their Chicago Yeah, with their Chicago geography makes zero sense. But it holds up, and you can tell because the writer-director is from Chicago, and he was probably like, let's get this right. He's probably like, no, 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 we're not doing that. This isn't the Bob Newhart intro. We are not going to be going loosey-goosey <laughs> to get home to Suzanne Plachette. Because that Bob Newhart intro, they are all over. They're all I've... over Chicago. It makes no sense how they get to where they get. <laughs> I've got to tell you, I've never watched the Bob Newhart show. <laughs> I am unfamiliar with the intro. I didn't even know. know it's in Chicago. Yeah, it's in Chicago. Literally, the uh, the the condo is actually like right up on. Um, it's like on, near Granville. Like those, it's one of those condos. No it's on the way. lake right there. Yeah, that's where they live. Oh my God! They have a Lakeshore Drive address. Yeah, but on yeah, but on the ride home, he goes through like the northern suburbs. It makes no sense. It's just like <laughs> they just they just wanted they just wanted shots. They just wanted of shots going anyway, and they spliced <laughs> them together however they want. I googled it. There was like a whole article I found about it that was like for Chicagoans, this is this is a lot for us to process. <laughs> for Chicagoans, um, this is a mess. <laughs> it is. It's that thing when you live in a city. By the way, let me be, let me once again, our longtime listeners know this, but I don't know where anything is. So yeah. I'm not necessarily the best judge, but I, I know I'm a little surpri- bit about a little bit. I'm surprised you recognized it and brought it up. And because um, I was thinking well, about that. And I, had, I was like, I, I, had, I wonder if. Dave watched it alongside me, so let's be completely Okay, transparent. okay, okay. So it all comes clear that Dave had, you know. That, no, 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 not all, but comes, just not, he assisted. He assisted. He assisted. Okay, okay, um, 
but yeah, so there was a lot of that going on. <laughs> there also, early on in this movie, I always love in movies when people's, first of all, as a person who was like a nerd and scared of ever doing anything I wasn't supposed to do, mm-hmm. um, it's hard for me to relate. Jane had a different experience than me with authority. <laughs> but I, people literally just like coming over to his house to just shack up. Like his buddy comes over with, Glenn comes over with his girlfriend, I believe. And they just want to like have sex, like at the house. And she says, the girlfriend says, we have nowhere to go. And it's like, it is not my problem, Mindy. You need yeah, to get I out mean, of here. I mean, as an adult. Here goes Jane. Like, bad bad as, girl Jane Jane. As an adult, I'm like, ew, gross. But as a teenager, I would have been like, well, yeah, they don't have their, par- their parents. Would have been like, like was it's like. A, it's, it's a free house. Like, we should use it. Like, <laughs> Yeah. We know. We all know Jane was about that life. So if you need any further confirmation, Jane said, the par- no parents out of town. Like, not within my eyesight, no problem. <laughs> well, I mean, have I, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast, but I got into big trouble for having a party at my house. Um, and my parents still, I mean, literally, this happened when I was in high school. My parents will still, like, bring it up sometimes. <laughs> it will never not be a part of my history because they <laughs> were fucking pissed. That's in and yeah. So you get you're getting both perspectives here. You're getting yeah. the the nerd like buckling under just the weight of like any potential authority figure in the room. And then you're getting Jane who's like, let's just do the damn thing. We'll deal with the consequences later. One hundred percent. I love it. I it, it I hated the consequences and it felt terrible and I it was awful and but I didn't have the ability to be like let me stop and think about what I'm doing and how it's going to affect me later. I didn't gain that ability until much later in life. No, and that's fine. There's also a moment. Was it great? <laughs> There's also a moment the next day after they smash where Lana's sitting outside on the patio and then she's like, great house. And he's like, oh yeah, it's my parents. And then she goes, oh yeah, real estate. It's fabulous. She's like, in what sense? <laughs> what like, is what does that, that mean? Line? <laughs> What like, is that line? Because like, there's a whole chunk of real estate that's actually not fabulous. Well, also it was like like the buying or like the selling. <laughs> you just like the idea of like exchange of like money for property. <laughs> like, what do you mean it's fabulous? Like home ownership? It was really unclear, and I don't know why it stuck out to me, but I did. <laughs> that's such a good point. It was just words. It was I didn't clock that at all. <laughs> real estate. It's a thing that I like. Why? Are you, do you sell, you like this, like, what do you like about it? That would have been my follow-up question for Ms. Lana. Um, but also, she's like, try, they're trying to figure out money. And I'm like, why didn't you get your coin before? You were too busy standing over by those French doors trying to have this, <laughs> this wind-blowing fantasy. Because before he got anything, you should have had a look at that cash. She probably saw that big-ass house, though, and she was like, he's good for it. No, You know what, though? I, I feel like people in her line of work also actually realize that people who are wealthy are probably aren't as good for it. Like they That's tr- true. rich people are the stingiest people from rich people are the stingiest people because they are oh they're yeah that's how they keep their money and they're always trying to make sure that they keep their money but it's not in like they'll spend incredible incredible sums of money on something really luxurious for like them or their family but when it comes to like nickel and diming like i don't know a fucking like server who's like living off tips like that's where they get their money back and it's like it's like you shit bag like are you fucking kidding me give a give a 25 30 percent tip because you can afford it always because you can't afford it okay this is the balthazar 
So, um, absolutely. Also, during the sex scene in this movie, they low-key almost stole the Reading Rainbow theme song. I'm not calling anybody out, but I am going to say it was given Butterfly in the Sky. Really? And I thought Shaka Khan was going to pop up any second. <laughs> um, but she didn't. But I was like, y'all are dipping. Y'all are dipping. This is, this is given LeVar. Um, <laughs> but I guess everybody was just playing around with new sounds in eighty in, in early eighties, so they we all really kind of sounded a little just, similar. Yeah. New and it was yet. like I heard was... like do, 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 do. oh like, that yeah I, I guess like, I right. didn't yeah I did not clock that at all. But that that repeated a lot throughout the movie. Also, Joe Pantoliano, who is like an iconic character actor, I know you probably know him best as a captain from uh, Bad Boys, the Bad Boys movies. Um, but he Absolutely. plays Absolutely. And he was in a movie we did too, wasn't he? I'm sure. I'm sure. He's been in so many things. I can't remember, um, but I'm sure. Yeah. But he is 30 in this movie and I was shocked. I was like, this is a rough 30. Um, <laughs> say, it, say it a little bit louder. I didn't hear it in the mic. Say it into the mic. I didn't hear it either. Um, but then, <laughs> yeah. But, but then also there was like. There's a there there's just a lot going on. Like because with Lana comes like all of this chaos. It comes all of these all of these characters that are just disrupting Joel's life. So mm-hmm. it's like it's not just like this sort of like exchange of like sex for money. It's all this other stuff happening. She's got a cast of characters. Joel has to go to school. He leaves old girl at the house. She's I taken... couldn't believe he left her at the house trying to go with to the keys to the car with, for her to be the... able to drive. Because she's going and out. Pick she's up Vicky. She's picking up Vicky from the train. <laughs> Her girl Vicky. Um, speaking of May December, Vicky also was married to Peter Falk, who played Columbo. Once no again, way. we've got we've got like a twenty-something year your age difference again, and they were married until he died in like I think twenty eleven. So like, Whoa. yeah. Wow. So yeah, a lot of that happened on the set. Her and, her and uh, Rebecca probably had a lot to talk about then. Um, <laughs> but you know, you do you. So, but they're having this fight. Like, there's a point where Joe Pantoliano shows up and, like, he's trying to get, like, um, he's trying to get Vicky. He's trying to get um, Lana to come back with him. They're screaming from, like, the second floor window. Once again, antagonizing him. Antagonizing. And it's also, like, once again, this is not, I don't know where you think you are, but you are in these white people's suburb. And (laughs) y'all screaming, screaming, having fights in the front yard activity in the front yard that i cannot believe the neighbors weren't called that's the thing that they did not talk about in this movie Mm -hmm. enough first of all neighbors and suburbs and like areas like this are the nosiest people on earth okay Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's Mm -hmm. no way not on their watch Mm -hmm. not not on bob and carol who live across the streets watch Mm -hmm. would any of this foolery have happened like absolutely not the scene where like once he sort of first of all the most one of the most painful scenes in this movie is when our boy, once again at Belmont, he's at Belmont Harbor now. He's out, you know, looking at the stars with Lana. <laughs> he asks her like two questions, which she doesn't want to, and she says, No, ask me anything. And he asks her why she's not in school, and she says, How dare you judge me? <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, she drops down his throat. She's like, No, no, I, 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 really, I really want to talk to you. I really want to talk to you. And then he asks, like, So why aren't you in school? And she's like, You fucking dick. You said, rich bastard. You, you monster. Who the fuck do you think you are? She says, not on my watch will I be judged by you, Tommy boy. And so then the car that's locked that they're sitting on the roof on the roof of just go or the hood of it just goes into the water. And so, this is the car okay. he's not supposed I, to be driving. 
Yeah, he's not. This is the Porsche. This is his dad's 1978 baby. Porsche, baby. I have a lot of questions about this because so they show the scene boy. before, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I forgot we got our our resident gearhead, gearhead, uh, gear boy, gear boy. <laughs> um, so there have been um so, oh so when she goes she goes into the car to like grab something right before they like have their conversation and she accidentally knocks the gear shift into drive i guess or into neutral into neutral and they're sitting on the car so it doesn't start going but as soon as they get off the car it starts going and falls into um into lake michigan now, when I first saw this, I thought she did it on purpose. Did you get that impression? I thought she did it on purpose, but I think that if I missed the moment where it accidentally happened. Well, I went by and rewatched it, and it does look like it's an accident, but it's like also, it looks so obvious to me that if it truly was an accident, wouldn't she try to put it back into park? Unless she and- just missed it? Uh, she, I, but that's the thing. It's so obvious. It was hard for me to believe that she missed that she it. did. Yeah. Then I mean, I I think that she there is something sort of Machiavellian about her. Like yes. it is not hard for that- me to believe that like she was setting these wheels in motion because at this point they were coming to the end of their arrangement, and so mm-hmm. like she if she was looking for a way to make him sort of beholden to her, then like this was a way to do it. I mean, right. And I feel like you know. I think actually one of the really well-written things about this movie is that you don't really know exactly what her motivation is. It's all the never time. clear. So I it's mean, which never is never clear. Which is smart. I mean, yeah. So it's it is it does make sense because this scene kind of like this is the scene where he ends up like coming to her home right right after this and crying in her arms. Yeah. So oh, he go- well, yeah, that is a scene. This is a scene. Yeah, yeah. So he goes and he gets the car like evaluated and then he tries to like, and then he's late to school and they're like, oh, you're kicked off like the future enterprisers club or whatever and you're never going to get into Princeton, blah, blah, blah. And so he goes to her house and like cries in her arms. And I was just wondering like, how does he know where she lives? (laughs) 14 West Elm. That's where, that's where the apartment is. We see him like run up to it in Chicago. It's near the Gold Coast. Oh, oh, you saw the address. Mm-hmm. Okay, but how did he know where it was? Uh, unless he, unless there was a scene where he drove her there, or unless he, unless at some yeah, point he called was. a taxi to, I guess, like send her back home or something. Mm. But yeah, he shows up at her house, and then they sort of put their plan into motion. Basically, I also love that. Like, I get that these kids. I mean, basically the plan being, she's like, I have a bunch of friends who, you know, do sex work. You have all of these friends who apparently come from like these affluent families and have disposable income or at least have access to it. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of boys going to the bank and like cashing in like, you know, daddy's dividends and mm-hmm. like put like putting like any sort of like, you know, <laughs> daddy's dividends. <laughs> they're just putting any sort of like money that they have, any sort of um what are they called? They still they still give these out. What are those like the bonds? Um, yeah, they're they're the cash in bonds. Uh-huh. Um and they're just like, you know, they're shelling them out in order to get that cash to go over to old uh Tommy's house. Uh Tommy, can you hear me? And um get some loving. 
Yeah, so it, it, it basically he establishes, you know, sort of the bunny ranch at his house with um, Lana at the, you know, at the forefront running the game, running the show. Call her madam, baby. Call her madam because she's wearing a fedora and she's, she's serious business. She's given, she, it's given uh, me against the music. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it absolutely is. 100%. I guess what well, me against the music's given this is what's actually going on because I'm sure wow. she's listening to this right now and she's like, no, 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 baby. No, 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 honey. I was first. I was first, baby. Baby, this is before I rocked that cradle. Mm-hmm. Annabella Sciorra mm-hmm. didn't even see it coming. <laughs> This is before mm-hmm. I threw out the the R word while speaking with Ernie Hudson. <laughs> That's coming later, kids. <laughs> and it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. <laughs> and everybody will let it fly for, for a lot of the 90s and most of the 2000s. It's yeah, going to be a but... while before anybody says, hey, why don't we stop? <laughs> oh, God. And uh, this this party is like so many people, so so many people. It's hard for me to believe that he knows. The, well, I don't know. I also think like when you have a party, in it's high school, a network kinda... too, though. It's his friends also. Yeah. It's like friends of friends and people letting people know they can't. They're the street is congested. Like there's not enough room. I what I didn't understand what they why they didn't do because I'm a nerd and I'm being practical. I don't understand why we didn't set up like time periods. Like you come over at this time. You come over at this time. Do you really stagger. think? horny possibly fucked up and drunk high school kids would adhere to a time slot no you're right they <laughs> um but it's just like everybody's here at once and i kept waiting on a cop to show up which does not happen like no because no. this is what i imagine is the neighbors see it and probably just think it's a part it's a lot of good caucasian fun so there's yeah. no cops to be found absolutely um, they, they, they're one hundred percent grabbing a brewski take. for themselves, having an more old than more style. than a brewski, probably. Yeah. <laughs> something else for themselves too. Um, but yeah, all of this is going on, and this is when the recruiter from Yale shows up. Also from Princeton. From Princeton shows up. This is also when we get the sort of well, it comes like right before this, but we get like the iconic sort of Ray Bands. This apparently like Ray oh, yeah. like Ray Ban profits like shot up by like two thousand percent after. You know what we didn't talk about? What? The iconic old time rock and roll dance in his. Undies. We didn't. This movie gives us that scene where Tom Cruise improvises a dance to old time rock and roll that like you know has lived on for forever. Sunglasses, and uh, you know he slides across the floor in a button up and. A pair of skivvies and he does his thing and white people love it white people love it it has been you know a halloween costume for frat bros since you know a very very easy simple halloween since costume yes day one very easy yet you still look hot get to show off those uh you know those tight glutes i don't get the, why this is as iconic as it is 100 percent. when i was watching this i was like it's so quick it's like less than 30 seconds this moment and i was like why were people like like going fucking gagging over this moment it was like what (laughs) what did we have in 1983 where this was fucking it man there was nothing else (laughs) nobody wanted to see anything else keep it all keep all film (laughs) give me tom give me tom (laughs) on the table in the bvds give it to what me what is bvds 
Uh, the BBDs. Isn't the isn't the underwear? BV as in Victor or B as in boy? Like BVD, like B as in Victor. Okay, but what is that? I don't know what you're saying. What is it? A brand name of underwear? Yeah, it's, it's underwear brand. Okay, I've never heard of it. BVDs. Stop saying. <laughs> They're under <laughs> BVD underwear. You just keep saying the BVDs. You know BVDs. BVDs. I don't know what it is. Obviously, there's a song called BVDs. Yeah. By who? It's like a really famous thing. I don't know. It's just like a really famous underwear company. Okay, well, don't tell me it's really famous if you can't back it up. What do you mean? What do you want me to say? What? How do I back it up? Tell me who sings the song. Oh, the song? Oh, I don't, I don't know who sings it. <clears throat> Bradley Voorhees and Day. That was the name of the three people. It, it started in 1876. Um, but it became like a cultural, like, euphemism, uh, for like underwear, like rocking those BBDs. What? what? I've, you know, it's interesting. There are some times where it's like you just have this incredible like gap in knowledge of like this incredibly iconic popular thing or just like a part of culture that like has missed you completely ev at every turn. And I've literally never heard anybody refer to tidy whities as BBDs. It's, it's it was tidy like, whities, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was huge. It, like, really big in the 80s. There was, like, lots of, like, commercials for them that used to air on television with, like, celebrities in them. And it was, like, a thing. And they make, I mean, men and women's underwear. It wasn't, like, they, but they were, like, a really iconic company. What? That's so funny. This is so interesting to me. I, this is, like, I, I'm, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning, people! <laughs> and it never stops. No, okay. it never will either. Especially for it never like will. you. Mm -mm. But you know, we're all we're all students and we're all teachers in our own way. Um, <sighs> but yeah. Um, so we get that underwear scene. You're right. There's like there's like several things in this movie that feel very iconic. It's also interesting because this movie reminded me like of a slightly like saucier. Although it was funny because like it actually doesn't get that dangerous. But there was like a point in the movie where I feel like I thought it was gonna. Like, Dave made a comment like wait this is just the beginning and i was like what's gonna happen i thought someone was gonna get killed and it all <laughs> it, it all stays pretty like it stays pretty light like it, it it gets like a little bit like there's not like weapons or anything introduced in this movie no. there's like well there's like one gun but it doesn't feel scary no and if joe pantaleano is like the grittiest criminal then like you're gonna do okay <laughs> unless you end up in a war of words because he can talk that shit. but <laughs> Yeah, like we get this party happening. It is uncontrollable. We have um, the recruiter, Roundtree, coming, uh, played by the character actor Richard Mazur, who you've seen in a lot of things. Um, and then we get like the scene in like his parents' study. As this party's happening, Lana literally coming in the study multiple times. She brings a cot in because as the people are arriving at this party, there's also mattresses being delivered. It is wild. It's, it is, like, it's total chaos. And the thing that surprises me the most is that joel ushers this interviewer into like an office it was presumably his, like dad's his dad's office, study yeah to do the interview which i thought hmm i would absolutely be like oh my goodness i'm so sorry let's reschedule but he seems completely unbothered he's and smoking cigarettes now he's yeah. filling his bad boy fantasy 
And... I don't know if it's the drugs he's on or the beer he's had, but he's just, he's going with the flow in a way that even I, a person who took a lot of risks as a youth, would feel uncomfortable doing. Also, I don't know what we're doing with, I don't know where we're getting the money at for all these, these, uh, they, they're bringing in like, these are new mattresses. Let me That's just tell true. you something. And everybody would have been, everybody would have been making a pallet on the ground. <laughs> and I would have been telling my boys to bring comforters and blankets with them. Because what we're not going to do is buy 15 mattresses for one night. Especially if this whole party is about making money. No, y'all like, pick a spot. Yep. Pick a spot on the basement floor. We got the space heater going. Get it in and get it out. And your high school kids, you don't give a shit. You, you don't, don't give, give a, a shit. shit. I mean, I'm 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 happy that like the women are had mattresses and like absolutely, everything. Absolutely, absolutely. Maybe they got that's... to take them home with them because I'm sure he was trying to get rid of them before mom and dad made it back because they are still gone. They have been gone for so long. They <laughs> are living you, their fantasy. My parents would never even consider leaving me alone for a week. I also, mean... they did not leave him enough money. They left I get that, like seventy five dollars. What something. I get that it's nineteen eighty three, but like, come, and, I, and I'm in, in their defense. Obviously, they didn't know that Lana was going to be throwing it back on him. But like, I'm sure. I'm also, sure they left a fully call me old fashioned, fridge. but I don't think your parents have to pay for your sex worker. Yeah, you're definitely old fashioned. Um, everything's changed now, Jane. Um, I feel like I feel like um, yeah, they probably left a, a fridge stocked with like stuff. I'm sure his mom or his or his dad. We know it's his mom, though. I'm not. I'm not gonna gender <laughs> like labor in a kitchen, but Let, let's let's not do labor. We don't need to do. <laughs> yeah, I'm like... sure his mom froze some. Has a frozen lasagna and like some ziti Absolutely. in the in the freezer. Like throw that in the mm -hmm. oven. That'll feed you for a couple of days. That kind of thing. So it's probably, I guess, like the seventy five dollar. You have your mom said you could use a station wagon, which doesn't get touched in this movie. Mm -hmm. Unlike his parents' bed, <laughs> it's the Porsche only. It's the Porsche only, which is the thing too with this movie was it was like he took the Porsche out like so many times that it was like by the time it goes into Belmont Harbor, you're just like you were kind of asking for it. Like it wasn't just for a quick, cute joyride. It's already been in like uh, you've already been chased by you know this pimp, a from gun wielding like, pimp from the city in this Porsche, which should have been the moment where you were like, oh my god, I can't believe I got the Porsche back home in one piece. But mm -hmm. no, 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 no. Also, Dave brought up the fact obviously i'm a gearhead but dave's a gearhead too dave right, brought right, up the right. fact mm -hmm. that this car he said he was like you, that car will never run again the same way after it's of been in the water not. and he you said he also, like... you can't and he said the upholstery he's like everything has to be gutted he's like this yep. will cost so much money and take so much longer than the amount of time that he would have at his disposable disposal 100%. once the party happens because it's like you have to think the party this is all a couple of days into his parents being gone which means that he, he has to get the money in order to get the car fixed so by the time he like gets the money and gets the car fixed we're like four or five days into his and parents I bet trip. he has to it's a Porsche like I bet he has to have like parts imported and shit it, yeah, like it's a whole it's, it's a there's whole no fucking way thing. as a person who just had their car in the shop for two months on oh, three very small things that could have been fixed whatever don't let me <laughs> don't let me go there <laughs> Not okay on this don't go there it takes a long ass time. It takes a long time to get the parts. And this is 1983. Yeah. Um, exactly. So they would have to send off. There's no the internet, y'all. No, it would have been, it would have all been carrier pigeon. So yeah. for them to get the car back, it would have taken so much longer. But the car's back. 
Um, he got what he wanted. He had the interviewer come in. I knew when he had the interviewer come in and I saw in Lana's face that she was like, I'm going to make sure he has some good good before he leaves. Yep. Um, and she sure did. He left with a smile on his face. And, Not from Lana, uh, though. Lana was loyal to Joel throughout the time she was with him. Lana was as in that zoot suit know. trying to make sure that everybody else was doing what they needed to do. She was too busy. <laughs> She's booked and busy. She was too busy to be worried booked about what's and going busy on. busy and not in the way you think. No, she was She was making that money. She was mm-hmm. making sure the money was being accounted for. Exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, ready to shake anybody who gets out of line. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, he leaves with a smile on his face and then... You know, at the end of the movie, we find out that Tommy Boy gets into Princeton. Even after he says while he's seated there, basically, like, I don't see it for you. Uh, Okay, so the most iconic line from this movie is when they shoot to him. And, like, right after the interview, he's wearing the Wayfarers. And I think he has a cigarette in his mouth. And he goes, looks like University of Illinois. And he makes the goofiest fucking face you've ever seen. Which is, like funny it did make that fully made me laugh in that moment <laughs> yeah and i, I wonder the university of illinois people i wonder if they're just like really like pissed. i well actually there was like issue with it because like it's actually kind of difficult to get into the university of illinois and they consider themselves to be very close to ivy league so they were pretty pissed off about this line in the movie apparently wait who considers themselves to be close to ivy league university which, of illinois university of chicago which... do you mean university of chicago University of Illinois, UIC. There's UIC in Chicago. There's UIC in other places. So, you know, I think, uh, look, (laughs) you know, I don't know what the reputation was in 1983 because reputations absolutely change. And I'm not shading at all. I swear I'm not. I just didn't know that. No, no, no. I, I, I think... I think now, in 2023, almost 40 years later, UIC is a good school, but not necessarily something you would think of on par with Princeton in just in terms of... Oh, for of sure. That. No, I know it's a great school. I just didn't know about any of the no, Ivy no, no. stuff. I'm just yeah. explaining that to other people. I didn't know that either, but I just a lot of people who aren't who aren't in Illinois might not have any idea what the connotation is. That is like, yeah, that is like a really like, yeah, that is like a really like funny. And maybe it was back then. <laughs> and no, and that is like a really, it's just a funny line. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was like a really, that is a really funny scene. And mm-hmm. uh, also, like, I imagine also, I would hope that even if you went to U- U- University of Illinois, you could kind of laugh at it. I mean, at this I, point, right? Yeah, I, we would hope. But I'm sure the university itself can't laugh at it. was probably like, no, don't you yeah. dare. Um mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure yeah, Princeton was loving it, probably. Um, <laughs> I don't think a... Princeton needs any more gravitas than it already has. No, they're good. Um, yeah. Also, there's um, yeah, there's the when he goes into the dad's office, he's sitting in the iconic Ames chair, which is a chair that my husband oh, has need... coveted for many, many years. And uh, we uh, we we often when we walk through a mall or a store that has one, we always mm-hmm. we always go in and just sit in it and just mm-hmm. think. This is expensive. Dare to dream. Yeah. yeah. And then we leave. And I didn't even know about Aren't them before. Aren't they like twenty five thousand dollars? They're really, like really that. expensive yeah. chairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fraser Crane has one. Mm, of course uh, she does. Um, so you know it's exclusive. Although they're not actually that exclusive because they're because they're such a. There's so symbol, many fake. There's so many fake ones. <laughs> there are fake ones. There are really good fake ones too. Um, mm-hmm. Also, we have cats, and I know mm. that there's no world in which, and I would never want to have a chair like that in a house with an animal. 
um, personally, just because any scratch on that leather, baby. But yeah, uh, not happening for me. Um, so <laughs> yeah, we get all, there's so much that's happening in this movie. Also, the thing I want to mention is like after this night of, you know, where they make all this coin, apparently like enough money that like, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, how much money did y'all make? Because like, it just oh feels my like- Sorry, I I just saw, we just went on this whole rant about UIC, and I just realized what we did. It's U of I, not UIC, and Dave said, UIC is a branch of U of I, you are both ignorant. He doesn't know what what he's talking about. No, we actually very much don't know what we're talking about. I actually don't know, I I knew that, I knew what we were saying. I knew that UIC was a branch of you. I, in my mind, I was thinking of UIC, I was thinking of like University of Illinois at Chicago and then I just kept saying UIC. But, Here, but what here's also the really confusing thing, which I know people all over the all over the world probably know about this. It's when there are colleges that almost have the same name, but they are completely mm-hmm. different schools. I like it's a thing with me. Like, you uni- like University of Chicago is like a very prestigious school. Totally. Uh, and U of I too. U of I too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sanity. Okay, my producer's yelling at me. So yeah, they're both they're both really like prestigious schools, but I always get them confused because the names are so close. One hundred percent. It's all very confusing. We also have whatever. I we can talk about this forever. It doesn't matter. The whole fucking system is broken, and everyone should get equal education. Absolutely. And so um, after this scene happens in the movie, um, they're, they they go out on like this. They decide to go out to a train. And they get on a train, which is a single car train, which I think is not. This is the L. This is the the subway system in Chicago that goes underground and above ground. Yes, it is the subway system in Chicago. They hop on the L train and they get on a train, which, by the way, it's just one train car, though, also. Oh, yeah. Tara and I were talking about that, too. In what world? I mean, this is a an older train from 1983 that I do not recognize. It has the number 12 on it. Were Did the CTA, uh, did CTA trains used to be numbers and not Come on. Uh, not colors? I, I Come didn't. On. You know, I don't know. I am I curious, though. We must know somebody, though, who this is actually like a good question. And you I know what we answer. know? This is this this is a something we can Google, but this is also a something our. I tried Alice. googling it and I could not find it. I I tried googling after I watched it and it's. Oh, did you? It, okay. And I couldn't find anything, but I may have not been typing in the right thing. It wasn't giving me the information I this wanted. This is this is something our friend Alice is going to. She's yes. a um, she's our friend and she listens to the podcast and she is someone who is so, so brilliant and has so much information for us that we don't have, and so oftentimes she will let us know oh absolutely and grew up in a suburb of chicago so right I think so there's she a knows the area way better than we do as well because we're both transplants so alice let us know <laughs> let us know and we'll let you all know but yeah, yeah it's this scene where they hop on the train everyone's disgusted by their presence and then almost instantly everyone's appalled there's a elderly woman who's about to throw up on herself when she sees rebecca de mornay and uh tom cruise slither onto this train and then rebecca de mornay <laughs> she knows like, exactly what they're planning gently rubs his butt and you can see on her face that she's just like not on my watch you <laughs> wild hooligans and then like everybody gets off the train basically and then they're about to sort of, they're starting a heavy pet 
and then they look over and there's an unhoused gentleman who's on the train kind of staring at them so he's they like very so, disgusting he's just giving off gross like that's the vibe he's giving off and I'm, it's not I mean, because it's not because he's unhoused it's just because he's a person who is giving gross what whatever like he's just like he's staring at them disgustingly he's like being a gross person so, yeah. Don't so you dare! He... I know you left that fucking pregnant pause to leave me here out there alone because you wanted to make it sound like I was talking bad about the unhoused population. This is this specific gentleman was gross. I stand by it. So after they remove, um, stop! The I hate, I hate your device of waiting to say something. <laughs> So when they remove, when so Tom Cruise's character Joel removes the gentleman from the train, like not aggressively, but it is kind of like it's a weird move. He picks um, him up and puts him like on a on yeah, he sits him on like a on bench, the platform and then runs back onto and then the runs train. back to the train and then like they just have sex on the train. They just uh, have sex on the train car, which I, which Tara and I were like, you wouldn't be able to do this because someone would get on back on the train. That's the thing. Someone's always getting on the train while you're so, getting off. So yes. <laughs> you'd have to get off somewhere else. But uh, yeah, so uh, that's our big saucy scene. And then we have the scene where he goes back home. He's on cloud nine. It's a day his parents mm-hmm. are coming back and he discovers that everything has been taken from his family's home. He's and... walking around his house, counting his money, and then looks up and realizes all the furniture, including the glass egg, which he did get back at one point during the movie, is now gone again, along with everything else. And then Pantaleano shows up in a moving truck with everything, and he basically sells everything back to him. So he ends up with nothing in the end. Uh, and then somehow, which by the way, but this it's one, wild to me that he would even have any money left over after paying for the Porsche after paying for whatever. the Porsche. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was thinking the exact same thing. And so, yeah, paying for the Porsche to get reupholstered and mm-hmm. like what you know what we do at the you know because I know about cars, what we do when we have to take in a car that's just sure. been a complete, it's would, been a complete dump. You know, I would love to have sort of a rundown from you about what you would do in this situation, how you would handle. Um, a car that has been in Lake Michigan that's been recovered and you're repairing it to its its um, best state. How would you do? What would you do? First of all, we build everything from the ground up. So I don't normally work on restorations. But when I do, I, I can tell you. This is not a restoration. This is this is a repair, really. I mean, but it's kind of a restoration, though, too. Okay. And, okay. And our, in our industry, that's the lingo we use. Oh, okay. Um, you're okay. a civilian, so it's different okay. for you. You're right. You're but the gearhead I, here. You're the gearhead I always here. do a full like uh, survey of like the entire car, and with okay. the technology we have now, the computers do a lot of that work for us. But okay. I still know how to get in there and like upholster, reupholster, whatever I need to do. I'd get in on the engine absolutely mm-hmm. as soon as oh, I could. I'd make sure that the tra- the transmission was in tip top shape. Okay. Um, and, <laughs> do you um, think the transmission would be in tip top shape if it? You was may need to dry it out. I may dry it out before. And How do then you put do it that with in. like a hair dryer or what do you, what's the nature honestly is the best dryer there is. So I would probably pull it out and I would probably hang dry it. Oh, so you'd hang dry in the sun, like a, yeah. like a pair, like a pair of socks. That's absolutely, that's what I do when I, whenever I take apart, if a car's got like a whole knob and tube stitch going on, then whenever I take, um, oh, I'm any sorry. Of the rubber, a whole what knob and tube situation oh, going on is that an industry term that i'm unaware of i don't know what that means yep you nailed it 
Um, and so all that stuff's going to be hung dry and then I'm going to put it all back together and I can put, I'm a person who could, I could put an engine back together with my eyes closed. So that part's not going to be hard for me, but I probably don't think that you don't think the engine would be like totally flooded and unusable. I think if you, if you hung dry it for long enough and you're going to test it out because sometimes, as I said before, nature's always, always the the Mm. best cure to anything yeah. so mm-hmm. i would only really be buying new parts <laughs> if i felt like i needed it absolutely so, so I don't you wouldn't buy buying... so you wouldn't buy any any new parts you think you wouldn't have to buy a single new part for this unless unless i absolutely had to there's little that i can't do with a car if you give me like a crowbar if you give me uh like any sort of like screwdriver mm-hmm. that's going to be enough mm-hmm. for me to make the thing happen um mm-hmm. Yeah, our producer's coming in with some BS knowledge. Why don't you just shut up? Because uh, <laughs> I got this on lock. Yeah, and so everything's going to... It'd probably be working like a dream. It'd be purring like a kitten by the time I was done with it. So, yeah, okay. but I'd be charging him a lot more money than he was charged here. Sure, sure. You know, well, but I, I work you know, at an but elite. It's, it, this is almost 40 years later, so... Almost know. 40 years later, things have changed. You mm-hmm. know, the more you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he brings that car home. He ends up giving Pantheliana all his money. And uh, he somehow gets everything back in. This move job would have taken forever. It would have but... taken forever. And when he, by the time he realizes the furniture is gone, his parents are supposed to be back from the airport in two hours. I was like, there's no fucking way. There's no Two way. hours? Like, that's not enough time for Pantoliano to bring the fucking moving truck from Chicago no. to Glencoe. No, it's it's a wild one. And he gets everything back in. His parents are none the wiser until his mother, who, by the way, walks in and makes a beeline <laughs> for. She goes straight to that to that straight uh, Steuben. to that Steuben glass egg. She literally puts she puts her bags down. She pushes him out of the way. She walks into the living room, climbs over the couch, and she's at that mantle, baby. She's staring <laughs> down that Steuben before she even. <laughs> She even washes her hands or takes a tinkle. She is like, where is Stu B? And it's like, if it was that important to you, you should have locked it up before you left, sis. 100%. She, she, that's all she cares about. And she (laughs) walks over to him and she says, and he didn't have a lie ready. She says, there's a crack in the Stu and How did this happen? I would have said, well, I was dancing around in my underwear to old time rock and roll and I bumped into the mantle. (laughs) And called it two birds. But instead he just, he pulls a Joe Mm -hmm. and he just decides to stutter, stutter. Um, <laughs> and and says, I don't know. I don't and know. And she just says, I'm extremely disappointed in you. And they're like, and you're going to have to work. To, we're going to replace it and you're going to have to pay for and it. We all know that game. No, he's not. Yeah. No. It's just, we're all just going to charge it to the game and you. keep it moving. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I told my parents I would pay for something that I fucked up and never did. And We've mom all and dad, played that if, game before. If yeah. you're listening, at the time I had every intention to follow through. Um, at the time, but then probably five minutes later, I thought, mm, I'm not going to spend my money on that. <laughs> Your hard-earned money. <laughs> my hard-earned money. <laughs> From the lemonade stand you were running. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, and then we also find out that he got into Princeton after all. Of course he did. He's a wealthy white man from, you know, Glencoe, Illinois. He got into Princeton because... He made it work. Because... That's what they do. That's how they keep the school running. And uh, yeah, that was the riskiest of business. That was everybody 1983's risky business. Um, Bran <laughs> got a couple cues for you if you're spit them out. <laughs> <laughs> Would you watch this movie again? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. It was yeah. a really like easy breezy watch. Yeah, um, it's not a tough watch. It's kind of fun. Um and it's a classic, you know. But classic. but I'm like clamoring to watch it again. Like it's okay. It's fun to like revisit. I would watch it again maybe in like five years. Yeah. I agree. <clears throat> All right, and then my second question for you is, do you have a movie selected for me to watch next week? I do. I do. Mm. I have a movie for you. This is a movie I also have not seen in a very long time. But it is one of those movies that a lot of people haven't seen, but everybody knows about. Oh, Um, interesting. It is 1995's Something to Talk About. I don't... Oh, is that Julia Roberts? Yes. <gasps> okay, yeah, I definitely have not seen that one. And it is, yeah, don't even know what films. it's about. Is Dennis Quaid involved? You know he is. <gasps> okay, all right. Well, we're hitting on a lot of genres you know I like, which are any movie starring Julia Roberts from the 90s. So. You love a Julia Roberts, which is a genre of film. Mm-hmm. It is a genre of film, wouldn't you agree? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, she's, she's got a type. Um, amazing. Well, thank you, Brandon, for um, watching and talking about Risky Business with me. I feel we've been on a journey. And thank you, listeners, for making it this far. Hopefully you have. Hopefully you've been with us. Hopefully you've listened to us stumble and fall and make good <laughs> points and make bad points. You know, here, it's, here. All, it's all a journey. It's all a journey. All a journey. Um, we love you, and if you want to continue chatting with us throughout the week, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Movies You Missed. We'll be there, um, <laughs> or we'll be square, <laughs> and um, we <laughs> will see you next week for what is it? Something to talk about. Love you. Bye. Call her madam, baby.